The scripture that John just read us is going to be part of my lesson, but it's not the title of what I wanted to study with you tonight. The song that we just sang speaks of an anchor. Uh, many of you have been out on boats. Many of you have ventured out and become grounded. Most of you understand what grounded means. It means that somehow your boat hits something and you cannot now move. The keel of your boat is on land. Being grounded in that sense is what this song has just sung about because we have something that we're attached to. Unmovable. Never going anywhere. God always was, is, and shall ever be. So we know that what we're about to study from His Word is truth. And the truth that I want to impart tonight is the grounding that we have. Where is it? The grounding that most of us have is what we've been taught, what we have learned, what we've gleaned from either our own personal Bible studies or we've sat in a classroom and listened to a gifted teacher like Charles, dissect the lesson. Teach us what we need to find that little seed, that little gem that every one of us finds that's different. When he preaches a sermon or anyone preaches a sermon, there's something in that for everyone. And as you've heard Charles say many times, Charles preaches the lesson first to Charles. Well, this lesson comes to me first. As I'm preparing it, I'm trying to learn something. And what I've learned is, what are we here for? In the high school class, we're talking about, uh, we had just finished, excuse me, a lesson on worship. And what is it? That's what we're here to do. But why? Why do you worship? Human beings have a desire to be loved. Well, we were loved first by God, by Him sending His Son way before any of us were inklings in our daddy's eyes or any other reason for creation because God had a plan before He even created that there was going to be love that He had in His pre-knowledge knowing that we were going to sin and I appreciated so much of Brother Freeman's prayer, mentioning that we are sinners, every one of us, but it's what we do once we've sinned. Do we recognize it? Do we realize it? The thoughts, the information, the knowledge that we've learned over the years, and I was blessed to grow up in a family that had godly mother and godly father that taught us, took us to church. Do I drift away from that? That lesson is still there. I've never left the Bible. The, I'm leaving the Bible. The Bible goes nowhere. The truth stands firm, always. So in drifting, as this song says, I've been adrift. It's not a good feeling out here in this Gulf of Mexico, 30 miles offshore, anchors broken. It's not a good feeling. But you have what? What are you relying on? That God willing, 
the engine starts and you can come back home. This is our engine. This Bible, we've heard it called food. We get our, um, the bread of life for us. To me, it's my engine. This is what keeps me going because there's times, as that song that we just sung, we run into troubled times. Does our engine hum? Does it just keep humming? Or does it sputter and gasp for air or fuel? Because mechanics that are in here in this room know that there's three principles in automotive and in any kind of engine. If you don't have gas, fuel, or air, one of those are missing, you're not going to run. Something's going to be wrong. Well, this is my engine. It's my responsibility. Every one of yours responsibility. But I take the responsibility first. How do I build this? God is the master builder. How do I construct it in my life? How do I teach others the glory about what is in this Bible and my desire of why I live my life? Well, I struggled with how to title this lesson. So the best one that I could come up with is Grounded in Love. That's what I feel that this Bible is love. God is love. We sing a song about God is love. There's no greater love. The chord that we just had in the song sung that goes from our heart to God. Have you taken good care of that connection? Is that lifeline secure? Or is it starting to, to drift or get slack because you're getting further and further away and you're not paying attention? Um, have you tied the knot? That's the other word that I'm trying to think of. Most men around here know how to tie knots. And I know women do too because they sew. And if you don't tie something securely, it's going to come apart. And there's nothing more embarrassing than have a sleeve of your shirt fall off because you didn't sew it right. Okay, well, the thing about the embarrassing thing there is, in realistic, there are people that, and it's true, people that die because their knot was not secured. I was told of a climber, or excuse me, I read of a climber in Mount Everest. Many times people have navigated this area and gone up there many times, but he slipped, he fell, and they were rescuing him, but the man that had tied the knot to rescue him didn't tie the knot properly. The knot came undone, and the man fell to his death. But that is what I envisioned when I was preparing this lesson is, are we really secure? Do we have our faith grounded with God? And if you'll permit me while I go through my preparation, I have three principles. Uh, I was always taught, keep it simple, son. And in this lesson, I want to talk about study. I want to talk about prayer. And then I want to talk about the deceiver. We all know who he is. And I'm going to be jumping into some scripture. I'm going to try to give everyone time to get to it. But while I'm still on that, that knot, there was another gentleman that I read this sitting in a doctor's office one day. And uh, 
a famous surgeon, his name was Dr. Zimmerman, had stated that in school they're taught during the surgery to make sure they tie two knots as they're completing an incision and so that they are going to make it secure. He said that he ties the second knot and he has to tie a third knot because he says that third knot is what allows me to sleep. He says, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's done. And the whole thing is that knot is what's going to hold that cut together. Well, we should have a third knot in our, in our beliefs, in our trust, in our trust in each other. We ought to be bound together just like the threads of a rope. Because the weakest link, they always say, is what? What is the weakest link of a rope? That little stray thread. It starts to wear. That catches on something. That continues the fray. And unless you're a good splicer and know how to knit that rope back together... You'll have a strong bond. That is, again, like falling away. That string that's lingering is separated from God. If you have a brother that brings this brother back, it's knitted again. It's strong again. As we, as adults, if we don't study... Um, again, I mentioned this in high school class. That's the class I'm teaching. If you don't study and you're on a subject, how can you expect to do good? And you can't. Unless, and I've said this to other people, unless you're a brainiac, unless you're a person that never had to pick up a school book to study, and you could just go into class and make straight A's, which I've known some of those people, but you have to prepare yourself. Well, in studying, the Scripture that we read actually, that John read for me, and I appreciate the reading. We will come back to that Scripture. But the first Scripture I want to go to is 2 Timothy 3, and we'll be reading verse 16 and 17. Second Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be made complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Reading from the King James Version. So, if we have what God is telling us that we have, and we study it, what, what causes us to get separated from it? We tend to drift Again, if that anchor breaks in a current, if you're in a river, there's no other destination for you except you're going downstream unless you go aground on a sandbar. sandbar. Well, that's the biggest danger that we have in the world today. People are drifting away from the Bible, drifting away from the truth. They're drifting aimlessly in certain cases. Um, our crime rates have just gone through the roof. Our work ethic has become very lazy, lackadaisical. Um, people are not committed to a four-letter word. Four-letter word being work. It scares the skin off of some people. Well, 
My mother, and I know my brother's heard it, I know my wife has heard it, but my mother used to tease me um, because she would say, and she'd have me go over, and I won't do it, but take my Bible, put it in a chair, go over and sit on it, and she says, now, is the power of osmosis going to make you absorb that book? You're going to have to open it up and find out what's in it. It's just not going to come into you. You have to put effort. You have to work at studying it. I'm not a great memorizer. Unfortunately, I never have been. But I can read and I can go back and read it again and I can go back and read it again. I might not memorize it, but I know I know it. And I can go back and say, okay, I know where to find it. And then I can read it, but I don't have it memorized. And the drifting that we're constantly in the danger of doing is drifting away from God, drifting out into the things, or excuse me, drifting away from the things that we know, not that we think. How many of you think this is the truth? We all know it's the truth. It's not a thought. It's we know it is. So if you drift away from what you know, where are you? You're out of touch with this. You're, you're not being comforted and strengthened and encouraged. You're not amongst the others that are trying to do the same thing you're doing. Trying to get to heaven. That's our ultimate goal. We all want to get to heaven. A preacher's goal, the elder's goals, are to make sure that everyone that attends here, everyone that comes here, hears the truth and that the truth is going to help them in the stair step towards heaven. There used to be an old Led Zeppelin song called The Stairway to Heaven. Well, that's what it is. I mean, we take steps to get to heaven. We all know them. Somebody, and I believe it was Charles, has printed out God's plan for salvation. It sits out on our foyer. And these are the steps that we need to do in order to become a Christian. How many of them have memorized? Whoops. How many of you can grab a verse and say where it is and what it applies to and what it's for? There's a limited few. But the thing is, we have materials that can help us. Uh, the elders have gotten a lot of information that can help us help others to see the light. What is happiness? That's a difficult question to answer for everybody because happiness to a lot of you is different than happiness to me. But our shared happiness that we all have is the joy that we share, knowing the bond that we share is going to be shared with those saints that have gone on before us, the saints that are going to follow in our footsteps. We're praying that they're our own children. That's what we hope and pray for. But what our desire is to keep our personal Bible study current every day. Okay? Things get in your life, get in your way, and you can't make up for it. Don't let the laziness sit in, and before you know it, the Bible has slid from the side of the bed to the desktop to the library, and it's not seen again. This drifting away keeps us away from God's eternal happiness. Um, 
trying to think of the word. It's um, it's in my head. It'll come out. What are we afraid of physically? Physical danger. We have security systems and, and security measures that the elders have gone through here. You go to an airport. You go to a, a, a theater. You go out in society. It's maybe not in the predominant part of your mind, but your fear is of physical harm. Somebody shooting you, stabbing you, robbing you, hurting you, getting in an accident, just physical stub your toe, trip and fall and crack your cheek. You know, these things we worry about, but we shouldn't worry about them because we should have the faith, the confidence, the strength, the security that we're not worried. If I were to be killed, where am I going? If I'm not sure where I'm going, then yeah, I should be a little worried. But most of us, all of us, I'm praying, have the joy that we know where we're going and we're working our way into that wonderful realm to where that we'll join each other and the many other saints and enjoy the, the company of the great individual Christ that paid the price, went to the cross, shed His blood, took that physical damage to His body that I should be taking responsibility of my own sins. The thing that we want to continue in our lesson is if you drift away, what is it that you're doing? It's because you're, la you're neglecting something. You're not doing something. Um, there was a gentleman, and not everybody in the room will remember him. I know I wasn't even born yet when this happened. But back in 1952, the Dallas Morning Paper had printed out that George Bernard, Bernard Shaw, pretty famous name, well, he sold his Bible on auction for $50. And the person that bought it, it said on, on the inside page it was written, except as curiosity, this book as a material object is a, is a most undesirable possession. I must get rid of it. I cannot bear it in my house. Okay, that's an unbeliever. Okay, switching lanes over to a, someone that believes. Walter Scott, in the same time, wrote about this glorious Bible that we all have. He said, Within that awful volume lies the mystery of mysteries. Happiness, they of human race, to whom God has given grace to read, to fear, to hope, to pray, to lift the latch and force the way. And better, had they never been born, who read to doubt and read to scorn. So these individuals that are neglecting knowledge, neglecting the opportunity to learn something, they forget. How many of you can remember the books of the Bible? The New Testament, the Old Testament. I know, I know our teachers can. And I, I know I can because I have to sing it. <laughs> and most of the kids, that's how we remember it. We recite it in our head. But that was because there was a diligent teacher. Somebody was teaching you how to memorize, how to do those things. In my lesson, as we're going through the study, I'm going to 
close on that section of it, skip over to prayer in just a minute, but these are some of the results that I found in research. I spoke about unbelievers. Okay? How can you explain it then to a Bible believer this same thought? Because a test was given to Bible school students and it revealed that 33% had not read the New Testament thoroughly. 48% did not know who preached the first gospel sermon. 48% did not know what four books record Christ's life. 52% did not know the plan of salvation. 66% did not know when the church was established. And 78% did not read the Bible daily. And these are Bible school, Bible school students. These are people that are going to our academic schools and some of them have fallen by the wayside but David Lipscomb, Fried Hardeman um, and, and I could name a bunch of them but these schools you would think this is where they're getting I don't want to say bombarded but they're being inundated they're being just immersed with Bible subjects Bible thoughts, Bible thinking but that's not happening so before I jump over to prayer when we're drifting, we neglect public worship. We neglect our own prayers. When we pray, what are we usually asking for? We're asking for something that we need. Usually, forgiveness is normally the head of the list. Um, how do you pray is a question that I have for all of us. Because prayers are often described using an acronym called ACTS. A-C-T-S. And it's something that I found in research that a gentleman had recorded and I want to share it with you. It says, A. Adore God and thank Him for His loving care of us. C. We confess our sins and ask Him... Forgiveness, knowing that if we are truly penitent, He will do so. T. Thanksgiving is the next part of the prayer, and we thank our Creator for His blessings bestowed upon us. And S for supplication is where we ask God to grant us what we need. So when we pray, first of all, people have to realize that we're praying through Christ, to God. You can't get to Him any other way. You can make sounds. You can make petitions. But they're not reaching God unless you have the actual keys to the kingdom as we're taught. Well, in the Scripture, and I'm just going to give you those because my time flies, but... Where do you find Scripture to dedicate to prayer? I found it in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And those that know it can probably recite it because you pray without ceasing. That means daily. That means when you're hurting. That means when you're happy. That means when you need something. Again, that was 1 Thessalonians 5.17. The next Scripture that feels right with me is coming from the book of James, the fifth chapter, 
and verse 16. It's one that all of us know. And that says, pray one for another. And I hope that you pray for me. I pray for you. I know the individuals that we don't have here tonight are praying that they could be here because they want to be with the family of brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I can't say how many, I'm praying all of us, when we leave worship Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I hope you've been lifted up. I hope you feel better for being here. I mean, if you walk out a a grumpy, grumbling uh, Christian, what kind of example is that? I thought you went there for joy because you were there to worship. Well, that speaks both of our spiritual and our physical. Is our spiritual side happy? Were we um, there to be impressed or were we there to learn something? Were we there for, uh, the Bible says, for vain Worship? Were you there just to show off and I I make the attendance? Or were you there truly to study, to learn? And maybe you learned something. And maybe one of the songs resounds in your head during the week and it lifts you up because suddenly you're singing a song that you heard Sunday that, you know, you feel good in singing that song. Well, the things that we drift away from, if it's from the Bible, that's not good for our physical body. Because then our physical body is left to go adrift. There's somebody right here. It's just in our Gulf we have, I don't know if any of y'all have ever been and done this, but I've taken individuals on flight in an airplane and flown them down low along the beaches and shown them. Look at all the sharks swimming around the swimmers and the swimmers are oblivious to it. The swimmers don't know that they're there. But sharks are in the water. Now, some people don't get in the water because they're afraid of sharks. Other people swim. But the thing is, the shark in my mind is, if I drift away from this, the deceiver, the devil, the father of lies, he's that shark out there just waiting. Because most sharks, they go for who? The weak. They don't go after the strong because they know the strong are, are going to fight back. Um, who's in the realm of that sea again? Who's the predator of a shark? Most people go, huh? A predator of the shark? Have that shark mess with a family of dolphins? That shark's not going to win. Those sharks are going to be running away because the dolphin... That bunt nose of that dolphin, he's faster than that shark once fall, and he can hurt him, kill him, get him out of the way. Same way with us. As long as, and Charles has demonstrated it multiple times, you take one pencil, any of us here could snap it. You take a bundle of pencils, it's going to take a very strong person to snap all of that. Well, that's what we are. We're strength in unity. We're strength in numbers. Um, In our prayers... Our prayers are that we keep away from drifting. Our prayers are that we speak to God continuously. And as I wrap up the lesson, we want to get to the deceiver. The deceiver is... I'll get my scripture here. Uh, 
I find um, the verse that I want to go to comes out of Hebrews, um, the twelfth chapter, and I'm going to try to read. I don't want to read all the way to the 29th verse because that will take up most of what little time I have left. But it begins by verse 21 at, a verse, at chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 21. And so trembled, or correction, so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are coming to the Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and unto innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which we are, which are, which are written in heaven, and, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling, that speaketh better things that are of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if he escape, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. So we can't turn away. We can't drift away. If we do, there's another verse there that if we do, we'll be like Moses in the shaking and the trembling, and it's as we continue. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken and of those things that are made, and that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. And the verse I wanted to get to, because our God is a consuming fire. I gave some information to the elders this morning uh, that I found in our St. Petersburg Times paper. And it was an advertisement about the Bible. That the Bible does not, or the Bible teaches that there is a heaven and a hell. And this new book that's out says that there is no such concept written in the Bible. I mean, all of you probably realize that what, as a person said this morning, what Bible are they trying to sell? Because that's obviously not the truth. Well, again, in this deceiver, the overall theme of the book that we seldom dig into, because it's very difficult, but it can be learned, and that's the book of Revelation, In the book of Revelation, the overall theme of the whole book is that we, as Christians, are going to succeed. We will win. And it's being faithful to God is how we do win. Out of one verse, and then I'll prepare for my conclusion, Revelation 12, verse 9. uh, The inspired Apostle John wrote, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil. And Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So, the devil's been confined down here where we are. We have to 
uh, associate, we have to be around Him, unfortunately, because He's in the world. We cannot live in, in a, uh, a bubble. We can't be afraid of it. But the thing is that if we go adrift, we can be beguiled, deceived by the devil. If we stay planted, grounded, secured to the truth, we're not going to be easily swayed. It's going to take something to move our, our grounding. The lesson has been t- delivered as in grounding. Aeronautical terms, if you were grounded, that means that plane was not moving. Um, all of you parents... I know self-included. We've grounded our children. You're not going anywhere. You're grounded. Well, that meant a restriction. Well, the restriction I'm thinking about is that grip that we have on that lifeline that grounds us to God. Do, do we have a, a, a mental hold of that picture that we love Him, that we're going to do what He says for us? When He says, there's only one way into the church, There's only one way to obtain forgiveness. And first of all, you've got to hear it, which we've heard. But through what you read, what you study, what you learn, do you believe it? Once you've gotten it in your head that you believe it, you know that you have something then to do. There's something that's called repentance, confession, And with doing all of that, we learn that through that, we have the final step of baptism. The baptism that is done, mine was done, I always have to stop and think real quick, 52 years ago. So I know there's some that have been baptized longer than that, some less than that. But there's time is not a friend to all of us. We have a limited time that we're here. We have an opportunity for um, forgiveness. But we have to, first of all, hear it, believe it, repent. You've got to come forward. Not necessarily, you don't have to do it in public, but you can go to a brother and have them come to church on a, a different day. I've known many people born uh, baptized on Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, because they finally realize, I need to do something. And so they take that faith and they take that action and they get a result. The result is that they have now been born and they're going to be a new creature. They're going to try to stay grounded in the faith. That's why I led the song, Will My Anchor Hold? Well, it's dependent upon you. A person once told me, self says I. That's the only way you can talk in the first person. How else can you talk to yourself unless you speak self says, I, I, I have to do it. I have to do something. It's not we, the, they, it's me. Well, the lesson is yours. Hopefully I have been able to bring you something that will spark a reason to look into the Bible to recommit, as Joe's lesson this morning was, the resolution to study, to remember, to do what it is that you set out to do. And hopefully that is to keep the faith 
and to be always diligent in your prayers because we need those prayers. If anyone has already been baptized and a fellow Christian but has fallen away and needs the prayers of the congregation, the opportunity is yours. And now, if you would come forward as we please stand.